0: You are listening to the ESPN New York tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Just when you thought folks were angry with the Knicks, they're angrier. They're, They're really angrier. So, so many of you told me, I don't want, I don't want no stinking Jalen Brunson. I don't want no Jalen Brunson. Don't want him too much money. This that. The other thing, all this, I want Murray from San Antonio. I want Murray. 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 And just when you thought you had all these first-round draft choices, right, the Knicks got, what, 11? 11 first-round draft picks? Unfortunately, a substantial amount of these first-round picks are lottery-protected which means they could be second-round picks. San Antonio decided we'll go with Atlanta because their picks are unprotected. So Murray is now a member of the Atlanta Hawks, and he will be in the backcourt with Trey Young. Now, it was an interesting discussion on Twitter that I was just on the outside looking in the uh, uh, you know, a number of folks were there giving them giving their thoughts about what that backcourt is going to look like and what does this mean with with Trey Young and how does this help them? Some disagree. Some think it's not going to help them. Some think it does. So you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. But once again, the question becomes, as we've been discussing all week, right? The question becomes, what else are the Knicks going to do? What else can the Knicks do? And you can't believe, on the eve of free agency, you can't believe as you peruse the internet, the type of rumors of trades that I've seen. It's 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 amazing. The one that that really, the, the one of them that really caused me to raise my eyebrow involves a uh, big daddy's big daddy ties former Laker. And that is a deal of, what was it? Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, and a pick to Washington for Kyle Kuzma. Now, here's the problem with that deal from where I sit. Washington can't afford Evan Fournier. Not with that salary. How are you going to make that deal happen? How does Washington, unless they're not, unless they're, you know, I know that Bradley Beal, I see that Bradley Beal is, is supposedly going to opt out. So what does that mean? He's going to settle for a lesser deal. He's going to, he's going to try to help, you uh, know, the Wizards out. I, I, this is, this is, I don't know, but these are the type of deals and the type of comments that you're seeing on the internet involving the Knicks. Because the Knicks always find themselves in these situations. You know, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again, and you guys can say it with me. It's never plan A. It's never plan A. Now, some of you may say, but Larry, if they do sign Jalen Brunson, that is plan A for them because that's who they wanted. They've targeted him. They hired his daddy. You know, they did a page out of the college recruitment where, you know, you hire the dad and you make sure that you get the recruit. (laughs) <laughs> well they used to do that back in the day the NCAA doesn't tolerate that anymore no no they don't tolerate that type of stuff anymore uh-huh. but nevertheless so it's clear right president's son is his agent I mean what if what if this is a new line of tampering as far as I'm concerned this is tampering times 10 <laughs> So there's no question that they want Jalen Brunson. They're going to get Jalen Brunson. They are. They're going to do their best. And with all the, you know, uh, our senior basketball front office executive, Bobby Marks, I saw him on NBA Today, and he made it clear, listen, even if Dallas wanted to resign Jalen Brunson with the all the money and tax and stuff they would have, it would be a penalty. And let's be honest which is probably why Knicks fans are not trusting Jalen Brunson right now. Let's be honest. If they they could have signed him long ago and at, not at the amount of money that the Knicks are going to pay him to keep him. Now, let's be honest. He was invaluable to them last year. Brunson was. He was going into and during the postseason – He was their second best player behind Luka. And it wasn't close. Now, maybe they feel that Spencer Dinwiddie, second year, back from the injury, he'll be better than he was last year. Maybe that's what they're thinking. So, listen, we don't need Jalen Brunson. We got Spencer Dinwiddie. We got some other, you know, we got Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back. We've got, we're going to be okay. Dallas is not going to be okay because they needed to get bigger. They needed to address the front line where they always got out-rebounded. Even though they have tall guys, their tall guys are not physical. Their tall guys are like three-point shooters. So they still were getting beat off the boards badly. And they still, how are they going to address that? With the lack of money. And the lack of salary space in their cap. So I this is this is going to be a tough one for Dallas. But that's Dallas's problem. The question now for the Knicks is, if indeed you do get Jalen Brunson, what will be your next step? Who will you get? Because Woj has indicated, Windhorst has indicated, that even the Knicks are saying, this is not our big, we understand this is not the guy that gets us to the next level. It fills a major hole because we don't have a point guard and haven't had a point guard for a number of years decades <laughs> so yes we need to get a point guard so this solves that issue but it doesn't make us it doesn't take us where we need to go so i'm happy that they understand that because that means that they have to make some other moves here's the question though and i know that you guys were talking to Dan Gross about it how confident are you i mean This is the same front office that is trying to, because Fournier's been rumored on every possible trade you can imagine. What does this mean? How confident are you that this front office, coming off the mistakes they made last year, where you're looking at both free agent acquisitions, you're looking at all the free agent, the signees gone. They signed Alec Burks last year, gone. They signed Kimball Walker last year. Gone. No Noel was resigned last year. Gone. I mean, there's not going to be anybody left except Derrick Rose. If they have their way. So how confident are you that they will be able to make the right moves and put this team on track to try and get back to the postseason? And try to get back to the postseason. We'll talk NBA with you next hour. I just wanted to give you my thoughts on the top of it. But when we return, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. But I'm being very honest. I'm being very honest. The Mets are struggling right now. They are two and five in their last seven games. They just got swept by the Astros. They've lost. They've lost three in a row. And remember I said, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. I'm not worried. I'm not. I'm going to tell you how I feel when we return. And then I want to hear from the Mets fans to see how you feel about this little stretch, a little bump in the road.
0: You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight Podcast on 98.7 ESPN.
1: There's no question that the Mets are struggling. They've lost their last three. There's something like two of 23 with runners in scoring position over the last couple of games started against the Marlins on Sunday. And you knew this was not going to be easy against Houston, a Houston team that has got great pitching, great pitching. And Verlander looks like he's discovered the fountain of youth again after missing a season. He's just He's picked up right where he left off. So you knew coming in that this was going to be a tough situation for the Mets. And I get it. Everybody's very concerned. Atlanta is now just three games behind the Mets after going on that, what, we win every game that we play streak. I think it was like 15, 16 in a row. And the biggest, while people are saying, boy, we got to get Scherzer back. You got to get DeGrom back. We got to get these guys back. And we'll hear from Max Scherzer in a couple of minutes. The bottom line here is, As Don LeGrecker pointed out on the Michael Kay show today, the problem is not the pitching, it's the offense. Here's Don. They're not hitting right now, and it's a little disturbing. And the Astros are a really good team. It's still a little aggravating when you go up against the Astros four times, one of the two or three best teams in baseball, and you lost all four games, getting outscored 24-6. to You scored one run at home against the Astros. So am I panicking? No. But can we stop the whole narrative? It's not last year. Alright, they've proven it's not last year. It's this year. And can I be a little aggravated that they've lost three in a row and just have forgot how to hit? I think they could be held to a different standard now, Peter, where we can be critical and say that has to get better. Because the Astros are just the type of team that you're going to have to play to win a championship. And we're not going to see them till the World Series, so I'm not going to worry about the Houston Astros. They haven't played the Braves yet. So Max Scherzer and Jacob De Grom would not have helped the last two days because you scored one run. It's about hitting. And this is something that the Mets were just rolling with before as they were just running away with their division. Now, logically, you knew they were not going to play that way all season. Only one team is doing that. That's the other team in New York. Okay? Everybody, every team goes through laws Every team goes through Peaks and valleys, every team has slumps. And right now, the Mets are in an offensive slump. They can't worry about Atlanta until they play them. Okay, I hope that Buck Walter can keep them focused and not worry about, oh, my God, we're looking over. Oh, here comes Atlanta. It's June. It's not August. It's not September. It's not even week one of October. It's June. Okay, you've only played what's that? 76 games. You got a little bit more to go. <laughs> okay, you got a little bit more. All right. So focus in and hopefully on this on after now that Houston's out of here, they can get their bats going again. That's so I'm still not concerned, but I will say this. Much like Don, you want your team to be competitive. You you realize you're not going to win every game. But you want your team to be competitive. And in the four games against Houston, let's be honest, the Mets were not competitive. Today was probably the most competitive game they played, and they didn't score. I mean, they've been blown out in these games. These games have been over early. So, do I still have faith in the team? Yes. Do I do I still think that this team is good enough to win their division? Yes. With the Grom and Scherzer, yeah, that takes them up an, another notch. Obviously, it does. But just like Don said, you didn't score today. You did not lose this game because Taiwan Walker pitched badly. Taiwan Taiwan Walker was outstanding. He's got the lowest ERA of your current starters right now. He's really come on after the early struggles. Yeah, Carrasco's not been great. Yeah, Bassett's been up and down. You get that. But nevertheless, this team has got to find a way to get offensively rolling. And even though we can look at, oh, why did Buck Walter pull out Edwin Diaz? Why did he do this? Why did he bring in Drew Smith? Why did? He, and we'll hear from Buck on why he made the move. But once again... Can you score some runs? That's the issue here. You didn't score. And we know the Mets have to do something at the trade deadline with the bullpen. We got it. We understood that from early in the season. And yeah, you hope, look, some of the guys when, you know, Scherzer and DeGrom comes back, you know, maybe you could put McGill in the bullpen. You could put Peterson in the bullpen. And we're still not trying to figure out what happened to the Seth, logo, Seth Lugo that we knew that was – Supposedly one of the best relievers in baseball. That ship apparently has sailed or maybe he can find himself. But nevertheless, right now, this is about the offense. Two for 27 with runners in scoring position, ladies and gentlemen, is not going to get it done. I don't care who you're playing. It's not going to get it done. And you understand teams go through slumps. Defensively, they're still they're still pretty good. But once again, against Houston, and you want, you, want to, you want to judge your team. Listen, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith in your team, but you really want to judge your team against really great competition. And I know going to postseason, and as Don mentioned, you're not going to play him again. Hopefully, if you play him against, it's going to be the World Series. So a lot can happen between now and then. They may not be the same. You probably won't be the same because I expect that you'll make some moves. Bullpen-wise. Now, I don't know if you, if this continues. You may have to start looking for another bat, although I don't think you need it. I think the big issue here is going to be the bullpen. But for this stretch and against Houston, I mean, this was not good. Like I said, Don gave you the stats. He scored six runs in four games. You're not winning 604 games. You're not. You're not. Especially against the Houston Astros team that no hit the best team in baseball and almost had a back-to-back no hitter against the best team in baseball. Okay? So let's be real. This offense has got to get going. Buck Walter, why did you pull Edwin Diaz and bring in Drew Smith in the ninth?
2: He's a good option for us. He's one of our best pitchers down there, and he's the most rested and didn't really want him to have six days off anyway going into Friday. That's not a good recipe for relievers. He needed to pitch day two. Plus, he was as good an option as we had there. We always feel good with him out there, especially where we are in the order.
1: Yeah, it's no question. And and once again, Drew Smith has pitched well. He really has. He's He's done a solid job coming in in the pen. Tywin Walker on the team's recent slide.
0: We've been playing good baseball. We've been winning series. You know, we've won a lot of series so far and you know, we still got some pieces coming. I think Max will be back soon. And you know, we got some guys coming right now and um, I think we'll be fine. I'm not worried about it.
1: He's like me. I'm not worried about it either. But once again, what I like for my team to score some runs, what I like for them to make it interesting, Okay, all due respect to to Verlander. He was great today. He was solid. He's been outstanding. He's been a guy at 39 who just continues to do it. I mean, in eight innings today. I mean, it's fabulous. Fabulous. But can I see some run score?
0: You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight Podcast on 98.7 ESPN.
1: talking a little bit about the Mets and their struggles over the past couple of games just coming up being swept by the Houston Astros for the season, losing back-to-back games here. Uh, you know, back-to-back games here. And then losing back-to-back games in the, against the Astros earlier. So just 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 really really frustrating. Okay, you lose in Houston and then you come back home and lose. It's not good. It just isn't good. And one of the issues that I'm looking at when I'm looking at this lineup is right now the problem with Jeff McNeil. Now, Jeff McNeil, unfortunately for him, has been really good. He's hit, was hitting 323. But because of injury, he's just he seems to be in and out of the lineup. Just when he he starts to get rolling, then you miss him for a couple of games. So look, am I crying? Uh, No. Everybody's got injuries. And it's your depth. That's why you have depth to try to overcome those struggles, to try to overcome those bad times. And listen, Starling Marte, once again, is a guy who I thought I would get a little bit more from him. He hasn't played badly. I just thought I would get a little bit more. It's so funny how and once again when you when you pitch when you're hitting against Verlander who is so good and he makes you look so bad. <laughs> so you sit back and you start to overreact. Oh my god, my team is awful. This is not, that's not what it is. They just hit a small patch. So once I get McNeil going, I get Lindor going. I have faith that Buck Shaw-Walter will keep this ship together. Because that's the most important thing, right? Is that they don't lose confidence in themselves. That they real, okay, flush this game behind us. Let's go, let's get to work. We got another game that we have to get to. This Houston is behind us. Okay, we didn't do well against them. We don't have to worry about them ever again. Right now, our job is to get back to doing what we've done all year, and that is do a great job at winning series. And here's all you need to know about this team, the depth of this team and how they've been able to deal with injuries. This is their first three-game losing streak of the season. We're at June, June 29th. Now, there's a lot of teams who with with not having your ace and also not having your number two for a month or two would really have trouble winning. And they found ways to win because of their ability to hit. They found ways to win. Yes, they've got good pitching, but the the defense and the offense has played extremely well. Right now they're hitting, they're in a slump offensively. And it's unusual that everybody goes into a slump at the same time. But I'm still confident that this team is good enough to overcome it. And this team will be fine. And oh yes, there is help on the way. Yep. Max Scherzer. In his rehab start tonight, that was that got pushed back. Remember, it was supposed to be last night. He had eight strikeouts. Nice job. Here is uh, Scherzer on being excited to return to the big club.
2: Yeah, you just gotta be on the bench and uh, you know talking shop with the guys and uh, understand different situations that I you know I see and be able to still be a part of the team and helping guys out. Uh, you, know, you know, there's different things that happen every single day in the big leagues that you see uh, from the bench uh,
1: that you can always you know talk with your teammates of different situations that happen. So um, you know, that's where I have a pretty good feel for. Uh, what goes on so um, you know excited to get back
2: you know with the team join them uh, officially now and uh you know get things going
1: all right so is on the way back so that will ease some of the stress from the starters from the, in the starting rotation but once again it's about scoring runs so if they can get the offense going they'll be okay they'll be okay let's go to the phones 1-800-919-3776 Mike's in Queens hey Mike you're first on ESPN New York tonight
3: Good evening, Larry. I told you all last night, you're, you're going to lose today. You know, in the Mets offense, let's be honest, the only constants are Alonzo, McNeil when he's healthy, Marte when he's healthy, Nemo, uh, they're getting nothing on a catcher. You know, you do had one big hit, maybe two, you're getting nothing. That's the ball, one big game, you're getting nothing. The DH is a black hole. Dom Smith, he's a mess. Uh, J.D. Davis is a mess. Lindor, he's hot or he's really cold. This Mets offense, they gotta get it together. You gotta, I mean, do you get a catcher? Do you call up the kid? The kid, I don't think is ready defensively yet. Do you call him up and risk, or just say hell with it? You get a bat, third base, left field, DH. You need another pitcher. You need bullpen help. And now what? It's three games. The Braves are coming. Oh, they are hell. They're right here. Three games is they should be tied. Okay, let's be honest. They should be tired. The three-game lead is nothing. The Mets, 17-game, seven-game collapse, last year collapse. The Mets, all they do is collapse, and now they'll collapse before the 4th of July. It's already done. The lead is over. DeGrom, you hope he comes back, but the Mets, can you really depend on him, DeGrom? Yeah, you can't. Look at his history. You can't. Yeah, so do you go bullpen? Do you go starter? Do you go bat? The Mets, yeah, the Mets could take on a bad contract. But training deadline is prospects, Larry, prospects. How many prospects do they have left? Okay, you can't fix everything. You can't get two bullpen guys. And how about the Mets? The Mets need to go to the SMY studio, pick up Jerry Blevins, toss him back in the bullpen. They need, a, <laughs> they need a lefty. Blevins, come out of retirement. We need your buddy. You got nothing out of, you know, garbage. The guy Reed was a felon. He's a, he's, a, he's a damn landfill Sean Lee Foley, he's
1: another dump to buy, another dump. Oh, the Mike, oh, de- you're depressing and- me. Mike, Mike, they're not that it's bad back. off. Mike, they're not it's that back. bad. Thanks for the phone call. They're not that bad. I mean, you're talking, you you make them sound like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yes, they're struggling offensively. There's no question about it. Yes, you're right. They've not, they they I didn't think they would miss McCann as much as they did offensively but they do and it's not like he was hitting 400 but still he was a little better offensively than what you've gotten from Nito that's why Nito's a backup (laughs) right otherwise he'd be number one so I mean listen, yeah they're struggling there's no question You, you are right do they need bullpen help absolutely they do absolutely is Alonzo a constant yes is McNeil a constant? Yes. What you're saying about the offense is correct, but you're making them sound like it's it's done, it's over. They're not that bad, Larry. I have a trivia question for you. Yes, sir. Who's got the Who's got the best record in all of baseball?
2: It would be the New York Yankees. Who's got the second best record in all of baseball?
1: It would be the Houston Astros.
2: Who's got the third best record in all of baseball?
1: That would be the New York Mets.
2: And there you go. (laughs) They're done. (laughs) They've got the third best record in baseball. Right now, they have one, two, three, four, five, six. The seventh best run run differential. And that's despite all of the offensive struggles that you've alluded to. No DeGrom, no Scherzer. (laughs) And they're still as successful as they are. And you're going to sit here and say they're done. That's now, toxic. That's
1: toxic. He, 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 it depressed me for a second. I had to, I had to woo, <laughs> shake it off. Woo, woo. He had me stunned. I was standing eight. He had me in the standing eight. I mean, they, they've they got the same amount of wins as Houston. Yeah, I mean. They both on, got man. 47 wins.
2: Come on, man. Like okay. I, get, like I get being frustrated. But think about how crazy it is for you to be sitting here on the cusp of July 1st uh, discussing and breaking down their first three-game losing streak of the season.
1: I know. I know. And and here's why. Because they have collapsed before. It's what Legreca said earlier. Oh, same team as before. It's the same team under Willie Randolph. It's the same team that had leads. It's the same. It's the Mets. They're going to collapse. They always collapse. They always go up to the great start. And they always collapse. So people have been waiting for this time to come up, where they struggle a little bit, and Atlanta is there. Listen, if you're a Met fan, you always look in the rearview mirror for Atlanta. And Gordon's, Gordon, Larry, last year, Larry, don't worry about Atlanta. Atlanta's not doing anything. Gordon, let me tell you something, look out for Atlanta. Larry, don't have to worry about Atlanta. Don't have to worry about Atlanta. Boom, Atlanta not only passes the Mets, they win the World Series.
2: But I mean, listen, like even if you the Mets had what? I, I believe the lead was as big as nine or ten games in the division. I think it was like, ten and a half. Right before point. the Braves went on that run. Mm-hmm. Like, even if the worst case scenario is the Braves catching you. Like, you still have the wild card. You look at you look at the teams that they're up against, not just in this division, but all over um the national league, like the Mets are still gonna make the playoffs. Yep. The worst case scenario as a wild card. I, I I actually still believe they'll win this division. I do too, and I mean, it's a. I know that the ghost of, you know, Christmas past are are haunting the Met fans because of the collapses you mentioned. 07, 08. Uh, last year after Degrom got hurt, and you know it was a tailspin. I get it, but this is a, a different team. It You've is. got Buck all It just feels like the and the Mets now have a uh, an owner who's going to outspend mistakes. They're not going to sit there idle at the trade deadline. Once they see that there's there are some flaws that need to be corrected, so I mean you you gotta you gotta relax just a little bit. To say yeah. that the season's over, I mean, <laughs> good, good God Almighty! <laughs> it it's 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 a bit much. You know who can say the season is over? Rockies fans. Yes, pirate fans, Nationals yeah. fans, like, Reds fans, A's fans. I I just went to Yankee <laughs> Stadium on Monday. I watched that team. They're dreadful. Like those are the the, 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 the Orioles. Like you're the match. You're you're the third best record in baseball. As you mentioned, they tied with the Astros for the second most wins. I mean, give me a break. Relax.
1: Yeah, it's okay. Every team goes through slumps. They do, and for you to just have your first three game losing streak. In June on the 29th, I mean, it's not bad.
2: But I, I would argue, I said, so this just hit me, that call was everything you needed. Because Larry Hardesty, about 20 minutes ago, sounded a little somber, was a little depressed about what was going on, but it all corrected itself once you heard from Mike in Queens because he just went to a level you couldn't go to.
1: No, I can't go That's
2: not, bad. not <laughs> so, that bad. So now you feel better just because of him.
1: It's not that bad. I was – and I felt pretty good before. My concern, my being down was, I want my team to be competitive in games. I don't want to look at it – with all due – like I said, with all due respect to Justin Verlander, great pitcher. Can, can I have a, a 1-1 game? Can I have a a game where where my team scores some runs? I mean, what, they only scored six runs against Houston in four games. I need to see some more. So that was my problem, was that they weren't competitive in these games. They weren't. Boom, 9-2. Boom, 9-1. Every time we turn around, balls flying out of the ballpark. Al- Altuve, just running around the bases. Home run, this, that, the other. So that was had me a little oh, shaken. But, I mean, 18 games over 500, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. one eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. When we return. There's another team in this town that's just cruising, cruising. And I don't know. I think, I think, I think tomorrow once again, when they play the Stros, it's another preview of the ALCS.
0: You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast. On 98.7 ESPN.
1: And I got to tell you, there are some similarities. But there's some differences as well. So I I got a couple of Yankee fans in the studio. And uh, I want to hear from you. 1-800-919-3776. But first, you know what happens this Friday? All roads lead to Lake Como, New Jersey, where... Bar A becomes Bar K at the 987 the ESPN Beats Bash. The Michael K show will be live from 3 to 7 with giveaways for fans in attendance and music from Brian Kirk and the Jerks. And if you listened to ENN today with Peter Rosenberg and Don Legreca, Don told you what song he will be performing on Friday. And he's playing an instrument. I'm not going to tell you. You have to listen. Or hit the podcast up on the All New ESPN New York app. It's all brought to you by Caesar Sports, by Casa de Monte Cristo, Calandra's Bakery, Rutgers Athletics, and the Good Life Transportation Company, and of course, the PGA Tour Superstore. You must be at least 21 years of age to enter. All right, uh, TB, I know you're a Yankee fan. Is this team at this point, because we can't compare them until we find out how it all ends, but at this point in the season, does this team compare favorably? to the 98, unbelievable, 125-50 and 50 team?
4: I want to say yes, because they've had this, if I, memory serves correctly, they have a similar record at this point, if not better. Um, of course, people might not think they have as much firepower as they had back in 98 when you still had Bernie around. You, I believe they had Paul O'Neill and Tino on the team at the time, too, um, and all, all the other guys in the gang so i mean i mean it compares i mean if they if it's world series or bust this year like we've been saying it for the past like five years at this point ever since they made the alcs for the first time with this group in 2017 so i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna compare them too heavily until they prove in the playoffs that this is going to be a world series qualifying team
1: Mm -hmm. all right mr butler
2: Yeah, so I can't go that far, Uh, only because two years before the 98 team uh, went on that run, what'd they do, Larry? They won the championship. Mm -hmm. So that team was battle-tested. Then the next year, uh, they lost to Cleveland in the playoffs, and then it kind of felt like a 2014 Spurs-like approach, to uh, cross sports analogy where you, where the year before you were expected to win and you had a slip-up and then you came back on a vengeance. So that team was battle-tested and proven. They had winners, they had champions, future Hall of Famers. And I'm not saying this team doesn't have future Hall of Famers because obviously, that, obviously they do. But it's just the difference in knowing that there was a, a foundation of winning because we had literally just seen it 24 months prior to that run versus this group uh the furthest they've been was what last year they went to the wild card game got knocked out the year before that they were in, in the division series got knocked out in a game 5 against the Rays the year before that they got knocked out uh, in the championship series against the Astros so we haven't seen them quite get to that level that the 9018 was able to do as far as winning a championship so I can't I can't go that far yet
1: okay I hear what both of you are saying. It's interesting because, um, as you both are aware, this fifty-six and twenty start matches the best seventy-six game start by any major league team since nineteen thirty. The two thousand one Mariners and the ninety-eight Yankees also went fifty-six and twenty. Here's what I will say. And Ty, you make some great points about the fact that this was a that ninety-eight team was a championship team that had played together. And, uh, Tom, you make a great point that, you know, the way they are right now, you got to wait and see what happens. They have a feel. You see some certain things that remind you of that team. But the one thing that team had that this team has got to show me is their ability to make contact in the clutch. Okay, they did not have a bunch of home run guys. Uh, There wasn't a – memory serves me correct, there wasn't a 40-home run guy on that team. But Bernie would give you 15 to 20. Paul O'Neill would give you 15 to 20. Tino would give you 20 to 22. Uh, Posada gave you something. You know, you had had guys who made contact up and down that lineup. Uh, From catchers, you were, I think, a little deeper offensively and defensively, although Trevino's been very good. The catching positions a little better was a little better there, with Girardi and Posada. Uh, so there's there's, there's certain. And I'm not even going to go into, gee, the shortstop or whatever. I'm not going to brushes to third, whatever. But the bottom line is, as you look at the whole, not individually, but as you look at the whole, they were a little better. And I think the other thing that made that team so good was the reserves, the veteran reserves, really pushed those guys in the lineup i mean the the chili Davises, the Daryl strawberries uh you know those guys really pushed the folks that were in that starting the Daryl strawberries really pushed those guys that were in the starting lineup every day like great if you if, if you if you hit a slump, i'm waiting, I'm waiting to get in that lineup so there was there was they knew how to win, yeah, which is what both you guys are saying that ninety eight team knew what it took to win, and actually in the last month of the season. They kind of got bored because they had won, so they knew that they knew the division was done. They knew it was over. They knew they had won it, and so mentally they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. And I do think that Joe Torre and you know the the coaching staff started to like plan for the pre for the postseason. So you're resting this guy, you're resting that guy, you're setting up your rotation, you're doing the things that you should do. But I think it affected the chemistry, and it kind of gave them the message that, okay, we're good, we're just cruising through, and then that's what caused them to not play as well and as dominant as they were during that season. And you do wonder, So to your point, Tino Martinez
2: led that team in home runs with 28, uh, started the show with a conversation about if Judge could get to 61. So that just shows you... Um, just in terms of offensive firepower via the home run. And now baseball has changed a lot, yeah. but um, j- just in terms of like how different these two teams are. And also, just to go back to the point of winning a championship, you do wonder, because as, gr- as great as this Yankee team is, and and by the way, now I do expect them to win a championship, and I'm not just being biased. It- it's just defensively, pitching, offense. I think they're just clicking on all cylinders. You do wonder, though, if they get into a playoff series and they're ever trailing, it's a big game and they're trailing, Like, do they get nervous? Not everyone gets nervous, but do they succumb to that pressure? Whereas that 98 team, since they had been there and done that, there was nothing that was really going to spook them. They were so dominant. Is this Yankee team going to be phased by... All of the pressure that comes with an historic season and not having won a championship in 13 years. Now the players don't all have to win that 13 wear that 13 year drought. That's an organization thing. But you know, the pressure comes with the territories when you when you have a fan base that's quote unquote starving for another title. And you yeah, just wonder true. how they're gonna deal with that.
1: And you had, you know, you had pitchers who understood what it was. Now listen, Garrett Cole understands. He's got, you know, he knows. He understands. What it takes to win in big games like that, but it's a little different in New York, right? It, it's a little different, and uh, once again, the other thing is comparing this, and it's it's unfair, but it's it, it you have to bring it up because it's a major statement. That team had Mariano, okay? You, you 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 that team did not have Mariano standing on the mound as Aroldis Chapman has been giving up a big home run, ending your season with him out there. So that's the other side of the coin that, you know, is something that you have to be concerned about. That's why, you know, the whole situation with Clay Holmes and how he he has arisen to challenge Chapman in that closer's role when Chapman is able to come back. And how Boone is talking about doing similarly to what Showalter did today by bringing – Diaz in, not in the ninth, but in the eighth, because that was where they really had to get some key people out, that that's kind of what he's going to do with Chapman, kind of easing. So it's almost like bullpen by committee or closer by committee.
0: You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN.
1: As I was perusing the ESPN website earlier today, I saw the ratings of the top 32 NFL rosters. And I was looking for the local teams. Give me a hint. They weren't in the top 10. They weren't in the top 20. We'll talk about that a little bit later on the show. Nick's in the car. Hey, Nick, you're next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Larry, thanks for taking my call. Love the
5: show. Thank you, Nick. Of course. I uh, I also do want to publicly apologize to Ty. He took my call and um, I had to ask. I was like, "What was what was the guy's name?" I was just talking about the battle-tested ninety ninety eight team, and I felt like an idiot because I listen to you guys all the time, and I should know, Ty. So, Ty, I'm very sorry. Um, I did apologize to him in person. Well, not in person, but over the phone. But I had to say on here. Good job out of you, Nick. Good
1: good job out of you.
5: Uh, so it was, it was a brain fart, Larry. It's been a long day, but um, <laughs> I, I I completely agree with Ty and you know kind of all you guys together because that '98 team was battle tested, like you guys were saying '96. However, my thing too with this current Yankee team and the '98 team is not just the players and the way each team wins games and everything. Like now, it's you know a lot of power and everything like that, but. It's the coaching and the managing. So, Joe Torrey was a battle tested manager. Don Zimmer was a veteran. Mel Stademeyer was a veteran. Aaron Boone and all these guys, they aren't, to me, they're not battle tested. Yes, they've been in the playoffs, but they didn't go through a championship run. They weren't in the playoffs the next year after. Like, Joe Torrey knew what he was doing. He could bring his guys back down to earth in the, the slums of the summer when the going gets a little bit tough and you're on a, you lose four out of five. He knows how to bring, his potent team back down to earth. I want to see that when the Yankees eventually, they will, it's baseball, go into a little slump of their own, and what happens with Aaron Boone. Yes, I know managing is very different now with analytics and everything, but to me it still plays an important part, and so does all other aspects of coaching, first base coach, third base coach, all these different things. And to me that that is a big outliner for what the 98 team had as opposed to what this team has now is that just that veteran that veteran voice and that, that battle-tested vo- those voices on the bench and being there and have done that before. Uh, so that's something that I would definitely differentiate between 2022 and the 98 team. And, um, yeah, so that's, that, that was my point. I appreciate sh- I appreciate you guys taking my call, and I uh, love the show as always.
1: All right, Nick, thanks for checking in, my friend. Um, isn't that amazing what the World Series will do? Remember when they hired Joe Torrey, Clueless Joe? <laughs> wins a title. Now nah, he's a genius. <laughs> uh, listen, Joe Torrey was a great baseball man. Listen, yeah, I love Joe Torrey because he was a Matt for a minute. So, you know, I had a special appreciation for him and then covering them. The one thing about Joe Torrey and covering the, he had stories. He, oh he would wax poetic about his days with the Cardinals and his days in Atlanta. He didn't talk too much about his days with the Mets, but he talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, the Gibsons and the, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the players of, of that era uh, that he was able to you know hit against and be on those teams, Steve Carlton and great players like that. But you're right. It's a, it's such a different sport now. It is such a different sport. It's such a different way on how they play. It's just it, – it's so sabermetric, right? But the one thing is that what Torrey was able to do with that team was he was – he, he just seemed to be on the pulse of every player. And every player respected him for his baseball acumen, his knowledge, his expertise. It's how he was able to interact with them. And once again, you know, it's a it was a veteran ball club. So you kind of have to pick your spots, right? Because veteran ball clubs, you expect, you know, they know how to handle themselves, but... He had certain relationships. He'd go up to guys and speak to them. So it was, it, it was, you just admire how he handled them. But it was a different type roster, and it was not a roster that relied on home runs. Okay, once again, as we discussed, it was a roster that relied really on contact and guys who hit home runs. It's so funny because that's one of the reasons why they would ended up going after Jason Giambi as a free agent, because they wanted to get more home runs. They didn't feel that they didn't have a, they didn't have enough home run power in their lineup. But that that team, especially with Bernie, they had that team was loaded with professional hitters. I mean, once again, baseball's changed, but uh Ty, Tom, there wasn't a lot of 198 hitters <laughs> in that in that Yankee lineup in '98. Wasn't a lot of two oh four hitters. You know, those guys were in the in the high twos, low threes that were on there because of the way they hit the baseball, because of making contact, hitting. Yes, they pulled the ball when they needed to, but they also could hit the opposite way. They could hit up to center field. They could hit up the middle. They could use the whole ballpark. From a record standpoint, yes, they are compatible. But from a talent standpoint, not so much. I mean, think The so sport
2: much. has changed, too.
1: It really has. Uh, it really has.
2: It's, it almost feels like a completely different. I mean, and also, look. I guess the current players would would make this argument, like how how different would those batting averages look if shifts were around back then, mm-hmm. and you could really game plan and set your defense to guard against the strengths of of uh, opposing hitters, because the shift is, has robbed a lot of these a lot of these guys of some some hits. Yeah.
1: I mean, the type of shifts, too. I mean, there's yeah. always, as you know, there's always been shifts in baseball, but very rarely have you that's seen four outfielders. Shift. Yeah, I mean, you I got mean, four outfield. I mean, stop. Where, 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 where are you going to hit the Where's the ball coming? If you want offense, okay, if you want offense in your game, four outfielders is not helping you get offense. <laughs> it's not. It's just not. So these are some of the things that, you know, when you look at baseball and you compare errors, that's why it's so tough, right, guys, when you start talking about the greatest and this and that. You know? I mean, you go, you go way back and... Way back in in baseball history, I mean, there was a shift put on Willie McCovey, who played along with Willie Mays and on those giant teams in the in the late in the mid seventies. There were shifts put on a number of hitters because they had the pension to pull the bat, the, the football, uh, the, the baseball. But but to the extent that they have it now, I mean, I don't know how anybody can get hits. I really don't. And 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 to the point now, I mean, think about this as a Yankee fan. You go back. And you look at the amount of, of times Reggie Jackson struck out when he was playing on those championship teams, and they were ridiculed. How could he strike out? How he strikes out so much. He yes, he makes contact. Yes, he hits home runs. But all those strikeouts, are you kidding? Today, he compared to today's guys, he, he didn't strike out that much, <laughs> considering the results he got when he when he got a hold of the baseball.
4: If that happened, it was, it, if that happened today, Larry, that nobody would be questioning it.
1: That's true. You're
4: right. Like Ronald Acuna, he's one of the best players in baseball. He'll probably strike out like over 170 times this year. Stanton mm-hmm. will strike out 200 times possibly. Judge, well, maybe not Judge this year, but...
1: Gallo. Gallo- that's what you, you're looking for. <laughs>
4: yeah, I, I don't even want to think about Gallo. I hope he doesn't even get 200 more plate appearances this year.
1: <laughs> you mean not in New York? Not in New York, at least. <laughs> Larry, you I know, I,
2: I, I said this earlier, and Tom kind of laughed at me. You know who has to be kicking themselves about... What the Yankees are doing right now, watching this season unfold, Brett Gardner, oh, yeah, yep, because it, it it almost felt like every year it was like, well, is this gonna be his last season? Is this gonna be his last season? Yankee fans felt like they were bringing him back, uh, like too often, like it, it was long past the time he should have retired, and not that he's officially retired, he's not on an active roster. He's missing out on this historic run. Mm-hmm. And you mean yeah. to tell me he he can't be better than Joey Gallo? Oh, easily. Brett Gardner has earned the right to be a part of this this championship run. So Cashman, go 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 sign that man and bring him home. Bring him home. You
1: are in such a minority. <laughs> I don't. I'm not saying as a Yankee fan, but you are in such a minority. People are so happy that he's not here. But I I hear what you're saying. Compared to Gallo, he would be he would be a godsend.
2: But I'm not saying he has to play every day, right? Because that was the issue. The idea that he can't be on on a on a major league roster, a roster this good, and I never understood the Brett Gardner hate. Like like I get him. You know, he's fallen off tremendously. He he had a a long, successful career, but Mm -hmm. the hate for him, I I just never understood.
1: Well, here's the problem, okay? The hate for Gardner is not his fault. The hate for Gardner is because Aaron Hicks couldn't stay healthy. Stanton couldn't stay healthy. Judge couldn't stay healthy. And so he was playing more than he was supposed to play. I mean, he was – Brett Gardner was playing almost every day in some position in the outfield. He was no longer an everyday player. And fans were like, God, we have to see Brett Gardner again. So he became, he became the the whipping person for the fact that, you know, he was playing every day. It wasn't his fault he was playing every day. The people that were in front of him were injured. And so you had to put somebody out there who you trusted. You put somebody out there who you know could make plays. And occasionally he hit. <laughs> he just didn't hit as much as people wanted him to. Once again, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault.